Hey, let me let me uh, let me jump into this. We are um, in the middle of this uh, this 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 uh, series uh, over the last several weeks, where we're looking at the possibility. Now, not all of us are buying into this, but a lot of us are trying to carve space out of our life or margin out of our lives. And when I say our lives, here's what I mean. Um, our time. We all have lots to do, but we're going to carve some time out of our life. And we all have certain abilities. We're going to take some of our abilities and we're going to take some of our money and we're going to kind of push those towards the heart of God so that we can get ready today for what God might want us to do tomorrow. And that's what this whole in the margins. I want to get ready today. With my life, so I'm ready to do what God might want me to do tomorrow, which according to the teachings of Jesus, usually involve two of the top passion areas of God's heart. And they were, they are, take care of the poor, that's the number one thing. And the other one is, get this message out that Jesus taught over and over, it goes like this, this good news that God loves you, he doesn't hate you. He actually loves you and he wants to live connected with you. Now, why is that so important that we get our arms around the heartbeat of God? That God wants us to take care of the poor and God wants to get the message out that he really does love people. And here's, here's, here's why this is so important that we as a church kind of embrace this. The answer is because God values and cares about people like that. People like that. But even more so, more convicting is this. Remember we talked about this last week. We is people like that. Right? That, that someone, I thought somebody would come with a t-shirt, but they didn't. But anyway, but some of us, all right, we are people like that. But some of us are just better at hiding our poverty. Right? Our brokenness, our, our neediness, our inability. We, we talk about disabilities. A lot of us are really good at, at, at hiding our inability to do certain things in our life or fix certain parts of our life, especially the big parts. But the truth is, and if you didn't get anything else out of the last two weeks, here's just the truth. We are all totally dependent on God to help us. Aren't we? I mean, when everything gets kind of stripped away, we're all dependent on God to help us. And if that's true, we're all dependent on God, that it's not any one of our jobs or responsibilities to judge in this world who gets loved and who doesn't. See, if God loves them, so do we. End of story. Okay? That's the takeaway for this, well, for every weekend here. Okay? Now, if that's true when it comes to physical poverty or physical needs, it is at least as true, maybe even more true, when it comes to spiritual poverty. In other words, there's some people in this world, there's some of us in this room where we have found, for different reasons, we found ourselves sensing or feeling like we're a long way away from God. Have you ever felt like that? And maybe it's because of something we did, you know, we made a mistake, or we made a bad decision, or maybe somebody else did something to us, but it kind of left, like, left us feeling like, whether it's true or not, it feels like God is way over there, and I am way over here. And even if I wanted to get back to God, even if I knew how to get back to God, there seem to be a lot of obstacles and roadblocks for a lot of people finding God again. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. See, God cares about the physical poor, but the other passion area is he cares about us when we're spiritually broken. That's what I'm going to look at. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. If you have a program or a Bible, we're going to be in Luke. We were in Luke chapter 14 last week. We're going to go back a little bit. This is several weeks before the story Scott told, but it's the same scenario. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. If you have a Flatirons Bible, it's on page 717. It's in the program too. And by the way, again, there's always free Bibles back there. But where we left off last week was Jesus went to this dinner party and blew it up. All right? Which is a theme with Jesus because today he's going to blow up another dinner party. Um, when an unexpected guest shows up. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, and then we're going to kind of apply this to two groups of people, and then we're going to... Don't leave early, by the way. Um, I'll just tell you, we're going, to, we're going to end tonight with a song that's never been played in church before. How's that? So anyway, oh, good. All right, so anyway, all right. So anyway, so we're going to pick up chapter 7, verse 36. We're going to read through this story. We're going to apply it to two groups of people. Then we're going to sing and dance and go home. By the way, I got some moves, don't I? You saw that. All right, so anyway. <laughs> 
So, like, pick, thank you. So, anyway, uh, so, chapter 7, verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees, and we looked at this last week, a Pharisee is a religious ruler, kind of a religious fraternity snobby person. Not all fraternities are snobby, but this one is, all right? Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And remember, Scott painted this. There's this low table and the, the host is in the middle. And then everybody's kind of laying on their side and their feet are sticking out that way. So Jesus is there, all right? And again, the only reason this Pharisee would ever invite Jesus to his house was to trap him, to trick him, to ask trick questions so he answers them wrong. And then, Jesus, then, the, then the Pharisee can go, see, you're not really the son of God. He's a fake and we ought to have him killed, something like that. They weren't interested in learning anything from Jesus. Religious people, we're going to find out, really didn't really want to hear what Jesus had to say about anything. So anyway, so Jesus is there sitting at the table with this Pharisee. We find out his name's Simon in a minute. And look at this, all right? Verse 37. When a woman who had lived a sinful life... Now, time out right there, okay? Literally, this translates in the Greek. It translates this way. When a woman who had missed the mark with her life. The word sin literally means... To miss the mark. And we talked about this before. If on that poster there, there's a a target with a bullseye and I aim my arrow at it and I miss it, it means I've missed the mark. The Greek word there is I sinned. Okay? So we all have parts in our life that have kind of, we kind of aimed our life and said, all right, I missed it. All right? Now, now here's the thing is we're talking about culture, you know, and we got to think about context, what was going on here. See, here's the thing is in, in, in the Bible, if, if, if this woman had been a thief, Jesus, the Bible would have said, when a woman who was a thief showed up, or if she had been a liar, when a woman who was a liar had showed up, or if a woman who was mean to puppies, whatever that is, it would have been really specific. But Luke, the guy who writes this, describes her as a, a woman who had lived a sinful life. So he's being very specific because a woman who had lived a sinful life is Bible code for she's a hooker. Okay, I'm just going to be really blunt. She's a prostitute. She's at least messed up, fallen short, kind of missed the mark. In the sexual area of her life, she's really messed up bad in the sexual area of her life. Now, we're going to pick this up. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town. So, I mean, she's not from another town. She's like right down the street. When a woman had lived a sinful life in that town, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume. I'll explain that in a minute. And she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. So his feet are stretched. She's standing behind him crying, and the tears are falling on on his feet. Then she she kneels down. She wiped them with her hair, kissed his feet, and then poured the perfume that she had with her on them. Now, remember context and culture. What is going on here? Dinner party, a hooker shows up, cries on Jesus' feet, dries them off with her hair. Awkward. All right, so let's just kind of look at this right now. All right? 2,000 years ago, you, not, not so much today, but 2,000 years ago, if you made some money, all right, you just didn't get on your donkey and go to the Chase Bank of the teller, you know, and, you know, especially if you're a prostitute. You know, you didn't go up to the bank and go, yeah, worked Colfax last night, convention in town, 401Ks going up. You know, you didn't do that. You just didn't do that. You didn't. So what you did is she worked the streets all night long. Then the next day, she would take whatever money the men had given her. She'd go down to the marketplace and she would buy something that would last. Something that may appreciate in value. And then later, when a convention's not in town or it's winter or whatever, all right, or she, she gets older and nobody wants her anymore, she'll take the, the jar to the market, sell it, and then she has food money, okay? And in this day, because this is a big city that's like real famous for trade and stuff like that, oil, real expensive oil and, and, and perfumes and lotions and things like that were commonly used as savings account. And if you keep, kept it in an alabaster jar, it's really good stuff, 
All right? So she comes up. She's a prostitute. She starts crying. She wipes his feet with her tear or with her hair. All right? Then she pours all the results of her life on his feet. All right? Everything she had done with her life is in this bottle. And she pours it on his feet. Now, the second thing we got to look at this is sometime earlier, she'd heard, she either heard about Jesus or heard him. All right? So sometime in the six chapters before this, right, she had been in the crowd when he was on the mountain talking or by a lake talking and she was listening to this and she's, you know, she's either hearing him or hearing other people tell her about this, this God who loves people and even when they fall short. So she shows up at this house and she brings not just her jar, but she comes and says she's weeping. She's crying. Now, usually, I mean, you're all smart people. Usually you cry for one of two reasons. You usually cry one is because you're so sad or it hurts so bad. It's painful. You're, you're grieving. Uh, you're, you're overwhelmed, all right? So it's, it's a bad situation. So you cry because of that. Or you cry from joy or relief, you know, right? Or, or you know, extreme happiness. So you cry for one of two reasons. Something really bad hurts or something really good's happening. But sometimes you can cry for both of them at the same time. Because we're going to find out what happens here. The other thing, and this will kind of explain the whole situation a little bit better. In the Middle East, all right, today... But 2,000 years ago, all right, when you entered a house, the first thing you do is you take your shoes off, all right? I'm going to Afghanistan Wednesday, all right? When I get to Waukeel's house on Thursday, I'll walk in the house, I'll take my shoes off, and then I'll give him a hug, okay? That's just the way it always happens, all right? Now, 2,000 years ago, if you were hosting a dinner party, the same thing worked. So your guests would come in. You would greet them with a kiss, you know, on the cheek. You've seen, like, Europeans do that, you know, and Middle Eastern people, they, they, they still do that, all right? Then either you or you'd hire somebody to do this would kneel down and wash the dirt off their feet because they walked there on a dirt road or, or rode there on their donkey, all right? Then you'd offer them a towel, like freshen up. And then it's a desert. And I didn't really understand this until I went to the Middle East, but there's not a lot of water there because it's a desert, all right? So they don't just like, you want to go you know, wash up. They just hand you a bottle of lotion. And you take lotion and you rub it on your face and your, and your head and stuff like that. And it kind of gets the dust off and, and the dryness and stuff like that. So that's what always happened then and happens now. But in Jesus' day... Those Pharisees came up with a law that said you had to do that. Hospitality was a law. But when Jesus came to the party, nobody did that. You know, no, nobody at this party, no one was going to give Jesus a kiss. They, we brought you here to trap you. We, we, we brought you here to judge you and condemn you. We're not going to wash your feet. Dignified people don't wash other people's feet. Religious people hate washing anybody's feet, let alone bowing down. It's just not very dignified. But just, especially if you're a carpenter, you know. I mean, I'm a, you're nothing. And this woman shows up, though, and her tears land on, her, on his feet. She does what everybody else in the room refused to do. And they should have actually fought for the opportunity to do it. She washes his feet. She serves him. She gives him a kiss. And she gives him everything she has. Now, look at this, all right? Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, or he thought to himself, if this man, Jesus were a prophet, a real one anyway, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Da-da-da. You know, it's like, oh, no, oh, no. I mean, you're not allowed to touch sinners. If you're religious, you don't touch sinners, all right? Now, three things here. If you're taking notes, first thing, he knew. He knew what kind of woman she is, all right? Because he's God. He knows everything. My question is, how the Pharisee know?
I think she had a key, but that's just me. All right, I can't prove that. All right, all right. So there's that. All right, not that that ever happens to religious people. But anyway, all right. So, all right. Second thing is, he knew every sin she'd ever committed. Right. He, as a matter of fact, he knows every sin she's going to commit. So this 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 scene is going to go pretty well for her. But he knows that next week or next month or next year she's going to just jack it all up. Okay, which means that if and when the day ever comes that any person decides to approach Jesus, you will not be giving him new information. You won't be informing him of, of, of anything that he didn't already know. He already knows everything about you. The third thing, though, and Scott kind of covered this last week, is if you say something to yourself, Jesus can hear you. All right? Look at this next one, all right? So, so this Pharisee said to himself, if he knew this woman, Jesus answered him. With five Simon, I go, oh, crap, he heard me. You know, so, so Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, which I'm sure was sarcastic. Oh, Tell me something big. Here we go, all right? So Jesus tells him a story. Whenever Jesus tells a story, it's really not about that. It's about something else. So Simon, I'm going to tell you a story about something you know, but I'm really not talking about that. I'm talking about something else. So pay attention, all right? And here's the story. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. So there's a guy that loans some people some money. One owed him 500 denarii. Now, a denarii is a day's wage. So whatever you'd make in a day, that's a denarii. This guy owed him 500 days of wages, Okay, so a year and a half or so, okay? Don't do the math, whatever, okay? And the other, 50. So about six weeks worth of wages, okay? So one guy owed him 500 days wages. The other one, about 50 days of wages. Neither of the guys had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, here's a question, Simon. Which of them will love him more? And the context is more than just, um, which one's going to, oh, you're awesome. You're just great. I love you. It's more than that. It actually means who's going to value him more? This literally goes like this. Hey, Simon, which man will value the moneylender more? Which one will express greater at, you know, appreciation or understanding of what's been done? Which one's going to love the moneylender more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus changes the word. You have judged correctly. You've got to pay attention to that. It's subtle. I guess it was the one who got the bigger debt canceled. Don't, don't suppose, Simon. You know. You know. You know what's right here. I mean, be honest. Do you understand, Simon? Then, look at verse 34. He turned toward the woman. I guess it's still down there just washing his feet. I, I guess, you know. He turned toward the woman and said to Simon, You see this woman? Simon, I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. That's, a, that's the law. I mean, that's, you came up with that rule. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head. She's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I'm telling you, Simon, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. You judge correctly. You know that's true, Simon. Now, go back to those verses again, all right? Back in verse 44, if you have that, okay? Look at this. It says, then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon. You see this woman? So he turns. He says, I'm going to talk to you, but I'm going to look at her. And I can't prove this. I think he's really talking to her. I really do. I can't prove that. I may be wrong here. I'm going to change some pronouns here. Here's what I think Jesus is really saying. Again, I may be wrong here, so you don't have to believe this. But this is what I think she heard. I think he's saying to him, but actually talking to her like this. Hey, excuse me. I came into this religious building, but obviously... I'm not welcome here any more than you are. See, they, the religious people, they didn't give me any water for my feet. That's common courtesy. But you wet my feet with your tears. 
your brokenness. And you wiped them with your hair. They didn't give me a kiss, but you haven't, from the time I entered, have not stopped kissing my feet. And by, by the way, did you know the word worship means to kiss towards? So you haven't stopped worshiping me. They didn't put oil on my head, but you've poured perfume on my feet. And by the way, you know what? The only other time you find people putting oil on people's heads and perfume on their feet, when they think the person is a king. Therefore, I'm telling you and them, your many sins have been forgiven. And that's why, that explains why you love me so much. But those who have been forgiven little or don't think they have much needs forgiving, love little. Don't express much love to people. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven, gone. This speech doesn't go over very well. All right, look at this, verse 49. The other guests begin to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? By the way, they're not impressed, they're mad. Who does he think he is? Who does this Jesus guy think he is? He, like, he has the authority to decide who's worthy of getting forgiveness and who doesn't. I mean, we're the religious ones. We decide who gets to be with God and who doesn't. I mean, she doesn't. She's a sinner. And by the way, not just a sinner. She has those kind of sins. And again, they're talking to themselves and thinking to themselves. But Jesus knows what they're thinking and saying. But this time, he ignores them. Because, and here's, just a, this is just so smart. You want to write this down. Religious people don't really care what Jesus has to say. Right? I mean, we have our rules and we have our regulations. And this is how we do it. And if Jesus gets in the way, we're going to go with our rules and regulations. That's what we bump into way too much. So he just turns to the woman and says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In other words, you get it. You, know, you admit you screwed up, right? By the way, the biblical word for I admit I screwed up my life is confession. You want to write that down, all right? And it breaks your heart. That's why you're crying tears of sadness and regret because you want a better life. You don't want that life. You want something better. The biblical word for that is repentance. But you're also crying tears of joy because you have faith. You actually believe me when I tell you I love you. You actually believe me when I say I'll forgive your sins. You actually have faith that I will jump in the middle of your life and help you find a better life. And because of that, not only does that save you, but now you can find some peace in your life. You can sleep tonight. Here's a great equation. Confession plus repentance plus faith lead to peace, according to Jesus. Now, what are the takeaways? What's the application, all right? What do we do with a a story from 2,000 years ago when we get up out of this room in a half an hour and and, and go home? Well, it's pretty clear, just if this is the first time you ever read the Bible, the the, the room is divided into two groups, right? The dinner party is two groups of people. Um, First, you have a bunch of religious people who are convinced that somehow they're better than everybody else. They're holier than everybody else. And then you have another group of people, a woman anyway, who's convinced that she's worse than everybody else. Okay? You got one group saying, I'm better than everybody else. And you have another group saying, I'm worse than everybody else. And I would say that would describe this room pretty well. Some of us think we're better than other people. Some of us think that we're horrible and everybody else is better than us. Okay? By the way, you're both wrong. The the truth is there are two groups of people in the room. Group number one, perfect people. Group number two, imperfect people. Let me clarify it for you. Jesus, everybody else. Okay? All right? All right? Because everybody else has fallen short of the mark. All right? So take the second group of people, which would be all of us. All right? You can divide, divide the second group into two groups as well. There's one person who's admitting that she needs Jesus. All right? And then there's everybody else who doesn't think they do. Because after all, they're not that bad. At least they're not, if, on the bell curve... They beat her, right? All right. 
So let me talk to each group, okay? So if you think that, you know, I'm horrible or I'm, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as her, okay? So, so let me talk to you. If, if you hear this woman's story, and you go, that, that's me. Here's the application for you. Ready? God already knows everything. Hey, he already knows. There's nothing you're ever going to tell him that will shock him, inform him, or surprise him. You're never going to pray a prayer, and he's going to respond, What? You did what with who? I mean, it's just never. I had no idea. I mean, it's never, it's never going to happen. You're never going to do anything that disgusts him, disappoints him, makes him love you more or less. He loves you. Okay? He loves you and he wants you to trust him. That he's willing to forgive you and jump in your life, help you heal up, help you forgive yourself, help you find grace and mercy and strength. Forgive your past and help you find peace in your future. So if you feel like, you know, that woman, I've screwed up my life so bad, you're wrong. He already knows and he loves you anyway. Second thing is, the only way to find peace with God, this is going to make some of you mad, but it's nothing like what I'm going to say later, so here we go, ready? The only way to find peace with God is through Jesus. And the only way to come to Jesus is like this woman. You've got to admit, your life's a mess. And you want something better. You can believe and trust that Jesus is the one who makes that possible. Now, here's another Mr. Obvious statement. Ready? You might want to write this down, all right? Prostitution is a sin. It is. Okay? Thank you for clearing that up, Jim. I wasn't sure. All right? Prostitution is a sin. But the first thing out of Jesus' mouth wasn't to lecture the prostitute or yell at her or quote Bible verses at her or threaten her with hell. By the way, if he chose to do that, he would have been right. But he didn't. But just because he didn't do that didn't mean that her sin didn't matter. Jesus didn't look at this woman and go, ah, don't worry about it. It's not that bad. I know some girls much worse than you. I'm telling you. And thanks for the perfume. No, he didn't do that, all right? He didn't do that. Why? Why didn't he tell her that she was a sinner? Why didn't he lecture and give her Bible verses? Why? And here's the answer, I think. She already knew. She, she knew she screwed up, right? That's why she went to the dinner party, right? And why'd you come to church tonight? Did you come here because you needed someone to stand up here and tell you or remind you? Did you know there's parts of your life that are broken? Anybody need that talk tonight? Did you know that some parts of you are screwed up and you've made mistakes? Anybody unclear on that? Is that helpful information to anybody? And the answer is no. I mean, it might not be prostitution. It might, but it might not. But fill in the blank with your stuff. I don't need to be told that I have sin in my life. I know. I know. We're here today because we want to find out, A, if God still loves us and there's... There's still hope. You're saying there's a chance, right? And the other thing is, if there is a better way to live my life, what's it look like, right? See, I I wish, this is a little reality check here. I wish that we could all hear Bible stories like this one time and decide, Jesus is right. I'm going to stop doing bad stuff and I'm going to start doing good stuff now. And I'm going to do this and follow Jesus with one Bible story. But the reality is, that's not the way it happens, at least not in my life. See, my story is that things have to get pretty jacked up. I have to get caught, usually, or busted, before I'll even consider listening to Jesus, let alone following him. Anybody else? So if you're like me and one Bible story doesn't do it for you, file this away. And when things get bad enough or desperate enough, remember, Jesus already knows. And he already loves you. And he's ready anytime you want to come to his party. Just file that away for a bad day. Now, let's get back to the story. Question. What would stand in the way of this woman coming to the party? 
What would stand in the way of this woman connecting with Jesus and ultimately with God? What would stand in the way of this woman having her sins forgiven and finding peace in her life? What, what was the biggest obstacle in her life? And the answer is religious people. Religious people. I mean, think about it, okay? Put your, kind of yourself in this woman's shoes. How much courage does it take for this woman to walk into a room where everybody knew about her, had already judged her and sentenced her without even hearing her story? How's that feel? And, you know, I, I don't know her whole story, but I'll bet if you did know her whole story, back when she was a little girl playing with Barbies or whatever they had, you know, and, and playing dress up, I bet she didn't play. One day, someday, I'll be a hooker. I bet that's not in her yearbook. Well, you know, most likely to, maybe, I don't know, you know, but something went wrong in her life, right? Maybe it was her fault. Maybe it was somebody else's fault. I don't know. But I'll bet there's more to her story than meets the eye. Isn't that true with your story? I mean, and we got to where we are for a reason, right? So why did she come? Why did she risk coming into a room of people that didn't want her there? And here's the answer. She did it because she heard Jesus was there. And maybe he would treat her different than other people had treated her, or at least other men had treated her. Maybe this time it would be different. See, in my 25 years of doing ministry, the people I've run into who are afraid to come into rooms like this, churches, they're not afraid of Jesus. They're afraid of how they'll be treated by people who claim to follow Jesus. Who act like they don't have any sin of their own. And they treat people horribly who have violated their list of really bad sins. And they do all this in the self-righteous name of Jesus, even though Jesus taught and demonstrated the exact opposite. And from this point on, I'm just going to tick some people off, but I'll tell you why in just a minute. But you read the Bible. I cannot find once where Jesus yells at anybody because they committed sexual sin. He didn't yell at one prostitute. You mess up your life sexually, gay or straight. I don't find Jesus yelling at anybody. I can't find one time where Jesus raises his voice or calls anybody a derogatory name because they tanked their marriage or blew up their finances or ruined their friendship or got addicted to the wrong substance or behavior. Not because, you know, he didn't yell at them, not because those weren't sins or because they don't matter. They do. None of those lead to a better life. But I don't find him yelling at anybody who screws up their life. I have lost count of the number of times that Jesus runs into mean religious people and by the end of the conversation, he's red in the face and veins are sticking out on his neck. One time he's turning tables over. He's got a whip in his hand and he's driving people out of the room yelling things like this. I think you're a bunch of snakes. How's that? That's, baby Jesus has left the manger, right? I mean, I mean he's, he's yelling like, you know, this guy, remember what Scott said this last week? He looked at a bunch of people and this is what he yelled at him. You look like a, a beautiful casket on the outside, but inside you're rotten. How about this one? You know what? You and your religion are responsible for more people going to hell than ever ended up in heaven. This is a passion area of Jesus. And if that's true, then it's a passion area of mine. And if that's true, I, I want to spend some time. Not church bashing much, but I do want to clarify what Flatirons, this community, is, is about and what we're running after. And here's why this is so important. And don't clap on this. Last weekend, we had over 11,000 people crammed in here. That's 1,000 more than the week before, which is awesome, unless the reason we're growing is because religious people from other churches are coming here because, A, and everybody's welcome, by the way, but if you're coming here, A, because the show is better, or B, you have some ideas and you couldn't get your last church to do them, but maybe you can get them done here, pay attention. Pay attention. Everybody is welcome here at Flatirons, but if you're new... I want to clear some things up before you get too settled in because you may not like it here, which is fine. There are a lot of great churches within just a few miles of here that you will like better and 
We need your seat. For somebody that really does want to engage in what we're running after. How's that? See, look at the mad people around you right now. Okay, so three things. First thing, and this first one is easy. Scott touched on it last week, okay? If you're taking notes, all right? And this is for the person that came up to the sound booth last week and yelled at us, okay? So, number one, we're not going to turn the music down, not even the bass. We're not, okay? Um, we're not going to sing Southern gospel music. We're not going to have a choir or wear robes, and we're not going to behave in a more dignified manner. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Wait, 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 wait. I've got to get through this or we're going to go long, all right? Um, we just don't like it. Okay, it's a personal preference. There's a lot of other churches that run after that, and they're good churches. That's awesome. Also, let me throw this in to just make some more people mad. We're not going to jump into the political arena. We're not going to put stupid stuff on your cars. And we're not going to let you sell stuff in our lobby for your company, even if you promise to give a percentage back. Nothing wrong with that. We're just not going to do it. Okay? Now, that's minor. Let's go into some more important stuff. All right? Number two, we're not going to pick out hot-button topics and preach against those. And ignore all the other stuff Jesus had to say. For example, I, I've been looking for this for two weeks, all right? I got this email a couple weeks ago, and I've been saving it for tonight. It's from somebody who's new to Flatirons. And if you're here tonight, I don't know your name. The name is not on the email, okay? Um, but, but I want you to pay attention, okay? And for everybody else in your camp. All right, here goes. Dear Jim, my family is new to Flatirons. Can you tell me your church's position on gay marriage, abortion, and Israel? Do you know how bad I want to just hit reply and say this? We believe that gay Jews should not have abortions. (laughs) But I didn't because that wouldn't be very nice. So I said it in front of 2,000 people. That's all right. All right. Um, now, now, here's the truth. If you're sitting here, all right, I know, I, I know that what you're looking for is to see how we approach God's word on some controversial, controversial issues. I get that. I'm just not going to get baited into having a, a debate with you. But what really frustrates me about your email is this, that in 25 years of doing ministry, I have yet to get one email asking me for our church's position or teaching on greed or pride or selfishness, or self, self-righteousness, or do you point any of your money towards widows and orphans? I haven't gotten one email asking me that. And while Jesus did, and we do teach that all sexual expression outside of what God says is good and right and best for our lives, that's called sin. We call it sin too. Jesus spent much more time talking about greed and pride and mean religion as the main culprits that tank people's lives. So we're not going to preach against, picket, teach, petition, or march. We're not going to beat up anybody. We're simply going to try to point everybody towards Jesus and what he described as a better way to live your life and you can trust him. And Jesus says, if we'll simply lift him up, Jesus will draw people to himself and Jesus will change people. At least that's what he said. So that's what we're going to do. Now, third thing. I was a little nervous about that, so I'm glad you clapped, all right? So anyway. um, Third thing, all right? This is serious. Christians are infamous for shooting our wounded, right? Which is why a lot of our church stories growing up go like this. We fought all week long at home. We fought all the way to the church in the car. We hit the church parking lot. We put on a happy face. We faked it. We said, bless you a lot. And yes, sister, and all that. We got back in the car, and then we picked up the fight again. Why? Because if you're a Christian, you're supposed to act like everything's okay. And if you don't, 
Other Christian, might, other Christian people might discover you're not perfect or worse yet, kick you out of their lives. I know that happens in a lot of churches. We just don't want to be that church. And we know that that opens us up to some really messy people and some really hard, messy situations. And we're okay with that. The truth is, people are going to have to deal with their mess with or without Jesus. We just think it's better to go through it with Jesus and in a safe community that won't shoot you. That's the church you're in. Now, let me, let me talk about this. I got a lot of questions over the last couple of weeks going, Hey, this is like the fifth time Randy's up. Where's Brian? That's a great question. And where's Buffy? Because Buffy's up here on the worship team. Right before Christmas, Brian came to me and, and sat down in my office. And his chin was quivering. And he said, Jim, our marriage is really struggling. And you know what he's most afraid of? He thought I was going to fire him. And I'm not. And he, he's not, all right? What we're going to do, though, is we're going to rally around Brian and Buffy. And he hasn't been up here for several weeks, and he's not going to be up here, he or Buffy, for several more weeks. Not because Brian and Buffy are being punished or disciplined, but because Brian and Buffy and I, we all agree that focusing on their family and their two little girls and their marriage takes precedence over being up here right now. And they're doing everything they know to do and everything I've asked them to do, and at the right time, they'll both be back. And until then, Randy and the rest of the team have volunteered to double up their workload, not because they have to, because that's just what you do. At least that's just what you do around here. And if you're sitting here wondering, I wonder what the rest of the story is. I wonder what's really going on. Here's my answer. It's none of your business. All right? Now, all you need to know is that Brian and Buffy need your prayers and their privacy. They don't need a lot of puppy dog looks. They don't need any advice. All right? They need your prayers and, and, your, and, your, and their privacy. And if you love them, you'll give them both. And that's all we have to say about that. So now, we're going to take communion together. All right? Communion, by the way, if you're new, is this idea that Jesus had to remind everybody that he died for our sins. Nobody else did. You didn't die for my sins, and he died for everybody. He died for all the people who have fallen short in their lives. And the message is, then leave the changing and the fixing and the saving to Jesus. All Jesus needs to do, all us to do, is love people like he's loved us. Because when that happens, people find peace. So, we're going to take communion together. If you don't want to, you don't have to. If it's your first time here and you want to, the bread and the juice represent Jesus took our sins away. So, drink up, all right? Second thing, we're going to pray for Brian and Buffy. We're also going to pray for every other marriage, and I bet there's dozens in this where relationships are really struggling. So pray for yourself, pray for Brian and Buffy. Even if you don't know Brian and Buffy, pray for them. You're going through a hard time. And finally, here's the last thing. We're going to do the box one more time this weekend. And then we're going to give it a break for a while. And here's, this has just been training wheels. We, every, the money that goes in the buckets, by the way, we do this every week. We find families in need and stuff like that. So just because there's not a clear box out there next week... Give towards the heart of God because we're going to point it to more trailers and more, you know, health care needs and more senior citizens and more people. And I'm, we're just going to do that. But here's what I want to do this, this last week. You know, that woman that kind of crashed that dinner party had messed up her life with her choices. In Louisville, um, there's this group home called Heritage House for teenage girls who are trying to get their lives back on track. It's run by some people that go to Flatirons here. I talked to one of the leaders. Most, not all, but most of the girls who go there... They're failed adoptions. They were returned. 
Now, being adopted, is that's tough. I mean, even the best situation, that's tough. Being returned? And a lot of them have been sexually abused by the, the dads who stepped into their life. And they're just trying to figure out life and trying to figure out their hearts and trying to figure out God and all that. And just like most group homes, they're underfunded and everything is really tight. So right now, it's really practical needs. They need a new roof. It leaks every time it rains. So we're going to put a new roof on it. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that needs you know, repaired and stuff like that. They just don't have the money for it. But here's what I'm going to do, all right? So put a lot of money in here because if we take care of all of that, I'm going to ask Mike, the director of Heritage House, take some of the money and set it aside. And, the, you know, we're talking about parties. I want him to take all these girls out to dinner and not a dinner that involves a counter or do you want to supersize this? Um, my kids used to say, are we going to a restaurant with carpet? And I was like, yeah, all right. So, yeah. So, Mike, I want you to take them to a, din- a restaurant with carpet. All right? Um, let me wrap this up. If you're here today and you've lived a sinful life, let me clarify. If you're here today, <laughs> this is the kind of place you walked into. This is a safe place to work out your stuff. And this is going to sound mean, and it is. If, if you're a self-righteous Pharisee, you get to come to the party too. You're just going to be miserable but we're not going to let you make anybody else feel miserable. So please change your mind. Don't be a snake or a whitewashed tomb. And don't stand in the way of people finding Jesus. On that note, this is a happy service, wasn't it? <laughs> see, see we're, we're not going to have to build a new building. The number's going to go away. So anyway, that's all right. Yeah. Hey, this is who we are. Let's pray. God, um, I, I say that, I, I put hard truth out there, but I say it with love, but I mean it with conviction, just like your son Jesus stood up and said, you're not gonna do this anymore. I know this is the way you've always been taught and this is how you've always done religion and stuff like that, but this is not what I had in mind. I want you to love her. I want you to forgive. I know you can't get there all at once, but take a baby step towards it. And God, if that makes another thousand people show up next week, then I just give you praise. And if a thousand people decide, I don't wanna go back to that church ever again, that's great. We're fine with that because I'd rather have fewer people here who are running after you with all their heart and grabbing people and picking people up and helping them walk towards you than have a, a coliseum full of people that stand in the way of finding you. Because we are all short of the mark. We have all tanked our life. We have all fallen. And you have died for all men and women and boys and girls. And if there's somebody in this room, even tonight saying, oh, I wish I could believe. Help them believe. Help them believe that you love them and that you forgive them. And if any of us who have been in church a long, long, long time, if we're sitting here going, that Pharisee describes me and I can see parts of my life where it certainly does, then I'm sorry. And I pray that whatever conversations need to take place tonight, so that when we lay down in our beds tonight, we can lay down with peace. I pray that those will take place. That forgiveness is given and requested where needed. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.